This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us via Patreon over at patreon.com geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Cutter's Edge, who just signed up to make monthly contributions to the show via PayPal. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 478 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the new Netflix series Masters of the Universe Revelation, written by Kevin Smith. And this will include spoilers for the first five episodes, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Andrea Kale, making her 19th appearance on the show. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in the Writers of the Future anthology, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's been a television writer, producer, and script supervisor for shows such as Late Night with Conan O'Brien, The Chew, and WWE's Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown. And she's currently shopping her reality show, The Night. So Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. The next up, we've got Christopher M. Savasco, making his 12th appearance on the show. His novel, Beheld, will be published by Lethe Press in April. It's a darkly twisted psychological thriller set in 11th century England, exploring the legend of Lady Godiva's naked ride through Coventry. Chris is also the former editor of Paradox Magazine, and he's written 20 Dungeons & Dragons supplements, including the best-selling Philosial's Ultimate Guide to Poison, which are available now through the DMs Guild website. So Chris, welcome to the show. Very happy to be back. And also joining us today is Zach Chapman, making his 11th appearance on the show. His short fiction appears in Nature, Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Steampunk Universe, and Writers of the Future. And he also edited the book Time Travel Tales, which includes stories by Catherine Wells, Sean Williams, and Robert Silverberg. So Zach, welcome to the show. It's great to be back. Okay, so let's start off with Chris. And have you tell us about your history watching He-Man? Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, I, far and away, He-Man was, and Shira, for that matter, were, were my favorite cartoons of the 80s. Uh, you know, as a as a kid growing up in the 80s, I just couldn't get enough of it. Um, I will actually... So I actually used to record the episodes on VHS and would watch them back and take careful notes for a planned <laughs> project that, of course, never came to fruition that I wanted to make a big compendium of the entire world with, you know, uh, details about the history and the geography and the biographies of all the, the, the various characters. Um, so I took my He-Man very seriously. And I, I'm going to go so far as to say that may have been the geekiest thing ever said on Geek's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, could be. I, I'm, I'm very impressed. So, wait, so do you still have those notes or did they I have disappear? A, I have a an old attache case that used to be my dad's that he that I inherited from him. Uh, and uh, it is stuffed to bursting with all my old notes and sketches and drawings and maps and everything. Yes, I do still have it. Chris, I want to see pictures of this. <laughs> Please send. <laughs> you know, 
because because I have you know like a box of my old drawings and things, and the first couple are all like He Man and Battle Cat, and I uh-huh. thought that was going to be that was going to establish my He Man cred, but uh, I have just been completely blown out of the water <laughs> by Chris. <yeah. laughs> um so well fam- favorite show of the 80s so Fav- favorite cartoon show of the yeah 80s, yeah for sure yeah wow okay we'll have to come back to that but so um so how about andrea what's your uh history um, of watching he-man well i was a, i was a kid in the 80s uh i did i do remember watching it i was um i was more of a book fan and uh Probably when it first came out, I was just starting to get into Lord of the Rings, which was an obsession of mine. So, uh, you know, this sort of dovetailed pretty well. Um, I, I remember enjoying it because it was just fun fantasy kind of stuff. Um, but I, what I do remember about it is, is those little, uh, the, the little, uh, tags at the end, like, you know, mm-hmm. wash your hands every, <laughs> <laughs> every time after a meal before a meal or something like that and i remember as i because i was i was like maybe 12 11 or 12 something like that and i i remember kind of feeling like oh this might be a little bit too young for me but ah what the hell um <laughs> so yeah that is my uh uh he-man history <laughs> well yeah because if you were a kid in the 80s this was pretty much it for sword and sorcery i mean like and i feel so lucky that the show existed when I was a kid to introduce me from pretty much as young as I can remember to the sword and sorcery genre. Cause, cause I love all that stuff. I love the, you know, badass swordsmen and, yeah, yeah. you know, witches and, you know, yeah. evil well, it sorcerers. Was the, it it was this and, and Thundercats. Yeah. Thundercats was on at the same time, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Or was it? Thundercats was a little, it was oh, about this. Let's see. I actually yeah. I wrote it down. Thundercats was 85 and He-Man was 83. So this was on for two years before Thundercats started. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, they, uh, they overlapped like, well, yeah. yeah. I guess they technically, cause I think, I guess He-Man was technically 83 to 85, but, um, right. you know, they, but that they were showing the episodes right. you know, over and over and over again after that. So, I mean, obviously you could watch them, you know, in the same time frame. Um, but yeah. Um, and I also just want to, if people don't remember the early eighties or mid eighties, like my, my sense is that the show was so popular. I don't know that there's anyone who's my age who didn't watch you, man. Like, do you, Chris and Andrea agree with that? Do you, did you ever, have you ever met anyone who didn't watch you, man? Well, I mean, you know, I went to Catholic school and then high school was all girls Catholic school. So you just didn't admit to being a fantasy science fiction and fantasy fan. Cause you know, that's, it wasn't cool. Uh, I didn't have a lot of geeks, so I never got to had never had anybody to talk about it with, <laughs> either that or the books or anything. So I was sort of isolated. I was an isolated but geek. I feel like you didn't have to be a geek to watch He-Man. Like I feel like just every even girls like if, you know if they had a brother or like friends or boys or something. Like I just feel like it was on so much. And there I mean, so I definitely. Channels. Yeah, I definitely don't think there was anyone who hadn't at least caught an episode or something. But I there were certainly people who didn't you know didn't care for it and didn't watch it but i mean i think it was kind of hard it was fairly ubiquitous for a while like you had to have at least been flipping the channels and and caught an episode or two yeah yeah that's what i'm yeah i'm not saying everyone was a fan i'm just saying like there's no one who's like he man what's that you know it was like (laughs) oh yeah no 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 not 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 knowing about it but yeah i don't think i ever had any kind of like water cooler discussions in in grammar school about it Yeah. <laughs> I'll also just say, and I hadn't really real, I hadn't really thought about this consciously until sort of doing research for this panel, but like before He-Man, 
the cartoons that were on that were popular were like the Flintstones, the Jetsons, the Smurfs, yeah. Scooby-Doo. You know, it wasn't really like the sort of action movie kind of genre. No, not and at all. And then He-Man was sort of the first thing like that. I mean, I will of- say that you had Thundar the Barbarian. Uh, oh, ooh, wow. That's a deep cut. <laughs> which was from like the 70s and, you know, aired forever on Saturday morning cartoons. And then you also had, um, I, again, I don't remember the overlap of this. You may have checked this, but the, you did have the Dungeons and Dragons Saturday morning cartoon for a little while. I don't, I don't remember that at all. Oh, I'm, I'm almost, I didn't actually check that, but I'm almost certain He-Man was on before that. Maybe. Um, but but yeah, I guess, but I mean, like, I, I never even saw, I mean, I know of Thundar the Barbarian, but I haven't seen it. I don't know if most people today would have even, like, remember that or ever watched it. So, I mean, I, like, He-Man, I feel like was the first that sort of popularized. Yeah, for sure. That kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so then I want to get to Zach, who never, who was too young to have ever watched He-Man growing up. And so just, so Zach, you just went and watched some of the... Uh, the old episodes this week, right? Yes, that's right. So I hadn't watched any He-Man whatsoever until this week. Actually, that that's not true because last, I think like last night you sent me a link to something and I had actually seen that probably when I was like 12 or 13, it came out. So I was born in 90. I had no, you know, exposure to He-Man whatsoever. That wasn't cool or popular. Um, I had a little bit of exposure to Thundercats, um, which I really did not like. That was not cool or popular when um, I was at the right age for that. Um, and then when this 2002-ish reboot um, happened, I I believe I actually saw like the one or two of those episodes back then. Um, but uh, it just the animation style was like this weird combo between anime and American animation. And it just didn't feel, I I just didn't gravitate towards it. So I watched like one episode and then never watched it again. And then had forgotten everything about (laughs) He-Man until this week. And that's (laughs) been my exposure of He-Man. I have watched a, I think probably the whole series of Thundar the Barbarian um, oh, because really? yeah, well I'm obsessed with the dying earth subgenre yeah. and that is uh, like that fits perfectly into the dying earth subgenre because um, it does take place. It's very similar to he, uh, He-Man um, almost like I, I feel like He-Man ripped up, ripped it off a little bit, but um, it, it has like some bigger names. Like it was created by Steve Gerber, who's a really talented, amazing writer um, who did man thing in the seventies for Marvel. And he invented uh, Howard the duck. He said, I think he invented Howard the duck and, um, and it had designs from uh, um, Jack Kirby. I I think allegedly, I don't know if that's like verified, but I'm pretty sure Thundar the barbarian and most of the creatures were designed by Jack Kirby. Well, so, yeah, so, so let me explain. I mean, that, yeah, as Zach mentioned, there were, after the Masters of the Universe cartoon from the 80s that everyone remembers, there was one called The New Adventures of He-Man in 1990, and another one called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe in 2002. And I had never even heard of these until this week. So, um, yeah, and, the, and the, the one from 1990 was very, it was done by a Japanese um, studio, 
you know, the animation and it looks very, very, very anime. And then the one from 2002, it's kind of, it looks to me like Don Bluth. It's, it looks a lot like Titan AE that we watched or like, mm-hmm. you know, Anastasia, things like that. It's, it's very much in that style. Um, and I only watched like the first two episodes of the 2002 one. And otherwise I'm totally unfamiliar with those ones. Um, but, but so Zach, so what did you think of the, the one from 1983 of the show when you just went back and coming to it fresh? Um, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, uh, like I was saying, I am a big fan of the dying earth subgenre and, uh, just Jack Vance's writing as a whole. I like planet of adventure series and the, the, all the dying earth series and even just stuff before that, like Robert E. Howard, Conan and, um, Michael Moorcock. And I was just getting like these, these vibes, like this is what these writers read. And then they just kind of made these stories based kind of very similar. These, stories are are just these little adventures that are sword and sorcery or or sword and planet or and the everything does uh, not everything but a lot of these episodes kind of have this visual like this aesthetic that feels kind of dying earth and it has these reds and these browns and these kind of like these colors that you associate with fall and like entropy and so i was digging all of that um not all of the episodes are like that but um, yeah, I, I just like really, really glad you called me for this because I had, like I said, never watched any of this. And now I'm like kind of obsessed with it. I want to seek out more. <laughs> well, there's 130 episodes or something. So there's plenty to watch. <laughs> um, so, so Chris, when you listen to Zach talking here about the dying earth and everything, is that kind of why you were into He-Man or... I don't other reason. No, I don't think so. Cause I actually had, had not really been exposed to all those uh, underlying sources at the time that I was watching it. So I, I definitely, well, yeah, yeah. I, I assume like, yeah, as a little kid, you hadn't read Jack Vance and stuff. I'm just saying like, was it, was it those themes you think, or were there other um, things about? I just think I, I just found the, the, the sort of world building and the stories and the, and the kind of, mythology of the world interesting so yes to the i guess to the extent that some of that overlaps with that but um i don't know i mean i just was a big fan of fantasy in general at the time uh and uh that sort of scratched that itch for me i think you know uh-huh. I, I i don't know that it's particularly because it had the, the same sort of themes as the dying earth type of stuff but just fan, you know just the i, I just found it um I, I was really pulled in by the the whole milieu, the whole, uh, the setting, the characters, the history behind it and all the rest of it. Yeah. Cause what Zach's saying does resonate with me. I mean, even as a five-year-old, I think one of the things that I really liked about He-Man was the sort of spooky, dark mm-hmm. quality of that world, you know, as opposed to like, you know, the Jetsons or, or like or, the Stones the, or whatever. Yeah, the Smurfs yeah. or something. <laughs> the, the other thing that's like instantly that pulls me in, and this is like when, this is for like a lot of genres and subgenres, but when you mix two genres, I'm mm-hmm. just instantly, I love mm-hmm. that. And um, I guess we'll get to this, but it's, you know, it's based off a toy line and it's kind of like anything you say goes. Like, okay, there's a sorcerer there, but he uses a ray gun and he's got a, you know, a very horrific like face, like a skull. So it's like, it's mixing horror 
it's mi- mixing like fantasy and science fiction. And it's just this amalgam of like all my favorite nerdy things put together. And so you don't know what's going to happen next episode. Are they going to be off in space or are they going to be time traveling to the past or are they going into another dimension? That's all fantasy like, and it's just completely swords and sorcery and fireballs and stuff. And I like, that's really exciting. Like what comes next? You don't know. It could be any genre. Yeah. I think, I think for me, it was like the first exposure to the mix of fantasy and science fiction um, that I'd ever encountered other than maybe the only other thing I could think of is, you know, I read a lot of the Pern books when I was a kid, which sort of does that later on in the series. But this is the first time I can remember, but I think I remember thinking that's really cool. Like, oh, there's magic and there's guns. Like, that's kind of cool. Yes. So, Andrew, have you watched any He-Man episodes since? I have not. No, not. (laughs) No. (laughs) I think I probably dropped off before there because in in 1987, I was like an older teenager. (laughs) It was. Yeah, no, you know. Yeah, definitely. By the time I the, the show was uh, in its later seasons, I was probably too old for it as well. But I, yeah, I, I kept I kept watching, you know, I kept uh, watching it. I mean, I remember when the, you know, when they launched Shira, which they did by releasing the cinematic movie Secret of the Sword in movie theaters. I remember going with my friends to see that in the theater. And I still have the the comic books of the movie that they handed out in the theater lobby. Um, when you went to see it, uh, which was really kind of a cool thing that even, you know, I, I, I kind of don't remember having that happen before or since with any other movie I went to where they gave you a comic book of the movie when you arrived for it, just with your oh. ticket price. So that's that so 1950s. Cool. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's, you know, way, obviously way before our time, but I yeah. mean, it, um, yeah, I mean, the, it, I loved the movie. It, you know, it launched the whole Shira line and tied it in really well with, with what had come before with, with masters of the universe. And so I was all on board with, with that show as well. Uh, Chris, what was your age? Cause I'm curious. Cause the, we watched, or I watched a documentary saying that this was really geared toward five-year-old boys. And so I'm I wondering what agree with five-year-old boys, I would say it'd be probably, to me, it always felt like it was probably geared toward like ten to twelve year old yeah. boys. Yeah, that's what um, I thought. Yeah, but I uh, I was born in seventy two, so I was an early teenager when it came out. Right, I guess if it came yeah. out in eighty three, so I was well, I guess I was eleven, right? Yeah. Well, you yeah, you seem to be a, a right in the 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 wheelhouse for what they were I mean, going certainly for. By the time you get to the last seasons of it and the and then Shira. Then I was more sort of like a mid teenager and probably was starting to skew toward the the upper end of who it was, you know, targeted toward. But, you know, I, by that point, I was so invested in it that I just kept right yeah. along. Yeah. Well, well, I, you know, I'm, I, I was born in 77. So I was literally like five or six when I was mm-hmm. watching He-Man for sure. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that, you know, cause I said, you know, I had all these He-Man drawings and everything. I just loved it. And I thought that I remembered it pretty well, but I did not. I mean, like going back and watching it and watching the new show and everything, I was like, you know, I remembered like there's He-Man and Battle Cat and uh, Orko and Skeletor. I definitely remembered really well. And then like Man-at-Arms, I'm like, eh, I kind of remember him existing. And the Sorceress, I remember her being mentioned in the intro, but I couldn't have really told you anything about what she did or anything in the show. And then everyone else is pretty much a total blank. So, so I was actually coming to the new show a lot more 
uh, fresh than than I mm. than I really realized. Um, and Andrea, are, were you are, were you in a similar boat? Since like, how much of the show did you actually remember from back in the eighties? I remembered everything. I, um, really? Yeah, I mean, some of the more obscure characters, like the I didn't like Moss Man. I didn't remember. I don't know if that was in the original series. Um, you know. Hero. There were a couple of ones that I was like, who's that? But every, all the principals. Yeah. Evelyn, um, uh, Beastman. Uh, yeah, it was all, uh, yeah, I didn't, I remembered pretty much all of it. Huh. And I assume Chris remembered (laughs) everything there is to know. And Mossman was in some of the last season of, uh, He-Man. The only, the, the sort of what I found to be one of the most fun, introductions to the you know characters introduced in the new series is uh stinkor who who never made it into the show uh but was supposed to be in the show they created a a toy for him in the toy line but then uh never actually made it into the show so it was good to see him finally make an appearance and you know it's interesting obviously the show was you know it was the brainchild of mattel and they were using it to sell their toys as well and i think because like the age that I was at, I was a little too old for it to seem cool to buy toy action figures to play with anymore. And I wasn't quite old enough where it was like, I could look at it as collectibles. I mean, I buy action figures now as an adult, you know? So I I never actually owned any of the toys as much as I was into the show. I was just sort of in that in-between awkward uh, place where it just didn't seem quite the thing to do. I totally own the toys, man. I had tons, and I had the, the Castle Gray Skull. You know, it's like the suitcase thing, and you could put all your toys. I in wish I had all that <laughs> stuff, man. Um, and I'll say, I don't know if um, you know there. If you want to know more about the history of He-Man, there's an episode of on. These are both on Netflix. There's something called The Toys That Made Us, season one, episode three, which is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, and it's only I don't, it's like thirty minutes long or something. So if you uh, if you want the quick version, you should watch that. And then there's a feature-length documentary called The Power of Grey Skull, The Definitive History of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And um, and they're both actually really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if anyone... I watched uh, I watched them. The, Power, the Power of Grey Skull this morning. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, it was very interesting. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, there were just like uh, two things I, I want to just mention from, from both. I don't remember now which was in which. But the fact that uh, the guy who invented Skeletor, when he was a kid, he went to some amusement park and was in like the haunted house and this uh, like corpse on a noose dropped down in front of him and scared the crap out of him. And he's like, that's a real dead body. I know that's a real dead body. <laughs> and it turned out it was a real dead body. What? He said and- he could he said he could smell it. <laughs> Yeah, it's this whole crate. You could, you should look. I, I won't go into the whole thing, but basically, there was this outlaw who died in a shootout with police, and no one came to collect the body. And so the guy at the funeral home decided to embalm him and charge people admission to see him. Good lord! And then, like somebody else, a con man came and like cheated him out of the body. And then he was he had it sold it to a carnival or something. And then like just like it, it changed hands a bunch of times. <laughs> and at some point, people didn't realize it was a real dead body, and so it and it finally ended up in this amusement park. Until it was finally like identified, and then now it's been like buried in a cemetery. But but that's what it's <laughs> Good God. I, I think there's a drunk history episode about the the person who died that inspired Skeletor. 
<laughs> That's definitely in the the toys that the the, the, the uh, shorter one because I didn't see that and I would have died laughing. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, those guys that that created the toys, they're characters. Like, and yeah, there's still yeah. drama and rivalries like that are apparent today in these old men, <laughs> just like grumpy or excited. <laughs> it's pretty funny to see them. Yeah. And then the other thing, the other bit of history I just want to mention is where uh, Battle Cat came from. Oh, so that's they needed, hilarious. <laughs> they needed one more vehicle for the line, but they had no money. And one of the guys is like, well, we already have the tools to make this tiger for this other toy line, but it's at a, it's at a different scale. So it's like a giant tiger. <laughs> and the guy's like, this makes no sense. It's like, it looks so ridiculous next to the other figures. This is this guy, Paul Cleveland. He says, quote, I don't give a fuck. If it's as big as a horse, put a fucking saddle on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So yeah, I definitely really strongly recommend uh, recommend those. Oh, I guess the other thing I, I should mention is going back and watching the old cartoon. Oh, I'll say I watched 20 episodes. There's some DVD I found where it had like the 20 best uh, He-Man episodes of the original cartoon. So I watched those. And going through the episodes, there are like names I recognize. A lot of names I recognize among the writers. You've got Michael Reeves, Paul Dini, J. Michael Straczynski, Bob Forward, DC Fontana, and Mark Scott Zickery, who has actually been on this podcast. We're all writing for He-Man back mm. in the day and all went on to like do, you know, lots of cartoons. Now. Things like Double Dragon, anyone? <laughs> yeah, if you if you missed our episode where we talked about Double Dragon, what was that? Was that video games? It was, yeah, it was the second one. I think it was the second one. And, and it's uh, also written by Paul Dini, who wrote, I think, two or three of the ones that are considered the best episodes. Um, he did the one uh, that's about the game. I think it's called like the Game Master, where it's yeah. like an alien comes down and he makes them battle each other. But then, you know, it's uh, he he has to do it not as He Man kind of thing. Yeah, I, that I would be Pawns of the Game Master, episode fifty five in season one. There you go. Um, but yeah, so I, I feel like we haven't really talked about. Like Zach, do you have any? Um, is there any way in which the old He-Man cartoon that you found it bad at all? Um, maybe like at, on a technical level, the um, they reuse. <laughs> I mean, I, I find it charming, um, but they reuse animations like crazy. Uh, Prince um, Adam is just uh, He-Man, but with a pink shirt which is <laughs> i i think that's awesome and i actually prefer that over the new series um a he-man's solution to a lot of things is to throw whatever is the obstacle so there's a lot of throwing of things um one thing i noticed was like it's it's even some of the uh i don't i don't know what to call this but like the trope is is very 1950s Clark Kent uh Superman vibes. It's almost ripped exact like straight yeah, from from that yeah. because you don't like he has he has the same personality as the 1950s Superman, which I love. I I I love how he's he's the bumbling Clark Kent when he's um um Prince Adam, Adam and then, you know, 
he's got to run into the the phone booth and turn into Superman <laughs> uh, to fight Skeletor. I I love that. Um, but I think maybe even at the time that could have been considered dated. But yeah, to me, it's all just very charming. And even the the you see the same um, animations over and over again. But I mean, that's common even in modern uh, anime uh, shows. Uh, I can't think of any show I've ever seen in which it's so apparent that they're using reusing the same animations over and over and over, <laughs> yeah. and over again. Yeah. They did a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Anytime someone lands after a jump, you get that back view of their legs <laughs> flexing as they land. <laughs> that they, they use those that those cutscenes like four hundred <laughs> million times. <laughs> I think it's the same throw animation too. And he yeah. just throws like random things. And so that's like why his fighting solution. I mean, there's usually, thankfully, there's usually some kind of narrative solution to the problem. But then there's a fight scene and he'll like throw Beast Man or he'll throw a rock or he'll throw just whatever bad guy and they'll go sailing off. Well, I, I strongly suspect that the reason that Prince Adam and He-Man look exactly the same is so they could just reuse all the facial yeah. art. Sure. You know, they didn't have to draw a new character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is, for me, that's the biggest problem with the show. Is that I just I just can't suspend disbelief that people don't know that, you know, <laughs> yeah. that Prince Adam and, and Cringer are, <laughs> yeah. you know, they don't realize that they're the same as He-Man and Battle Cat, whereas He-Man looks exactly the same except with different clothes and Battle Cat is like 15% bigger, but he's still a green tiger with orange <laughs> yeah. stripes. Like, yeah. come on, come on. <laughs> Um, but so, so Chris, can you bring yourself to admit any flaws? Well, I mean, I think it's the flaws that exist in it are sort of the same flaws that often exist when you go back and watch anything that you loved as a child. Like, you know, I Mm -hmm. remember the plots being far more sophisticated than they actually were. And the sort of, you know, advancement of the plot being more like, compelling and when you go back and watch it often that that still is the case but more often it's just like okay this is you know you understand where this this plot is going in this episode from the first minute and then it's just sort of plotting through waiting for them to get there you know because it's very you know it's, it's just very telegraphed and you you understand what they're doing right away um so you know watching it as a as an 11 year old versus watching it as an adult is is a very different experience um, and and it becomes clear that they were writing it for eleven year olds. Yeah. Know? But um, you know, and of course, yeah, I agree. You know, the re- the re- the reusing of the animation doesn't bother me, and I'm even willing to suspend my disbelief that they, you know, that no one noticed it because it's just like, well, okay. But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it it I think it just suffers from the same flaws that any sort of childhood thing does when you go back and look at it. But in general, you know, I I still love the whole concept behind it and and i love the fact that it wasn't just like you said sort of like a you know a a run-of-the-mill cartoon where everything was just sort of on the surface like with with various episodes throughout this the run you found you find out layers and layers of like history behind characters and they bring certain elements back and and the sort of relationships that that develop and 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 the sort of mythology behind the world gets more and more developed as it goes along and that kind of stuff i i still really like mm-hmm. 
All right, so why don't we get to the new show? So this is this is brand new on Netflix, written by Kevin Smith. It's called Masters of the Universe Revelation. So, so Andrea, what were your expectations going into this new He-Man show? I didn't. I, I mean, I remember you sent me the trailer, and I watched it. I'm like, oh, that looks really cool. But I thought it would be a little more adult, considering that at this point we have as a society advanced a little more when we don't have to pander to it didn't seem like it seemed like a more adult show from the trailer um and that actually panned out it was it was more of an adult show um the first episode when i watched it i was like oh crap this is gonna i'm gonna hate this because it was what i remember of just kind of the the puns and the the Mm. hokiness and i was like oh my god is this gonna be five episodes of that and then you get to episode two and I'm like, Oh, okay. Now here's a story. And I'm, I was, I was, I, you know, I bought into it at that point. Um, so I, I mean, expectations. Yeah. I mean, I guess it did live up to my expectations of hope, hoping that it would be something a little more adult that I would like and not be the show that I remember being aimed at 10 year old boys. Did did you have any expectations based on the fact that it was written by Kevin Smith? Or I'll also mention the animation is done by Powerhouse Animation, which also did like the the recent Netflix Castlevania and um, Void of Zeus shows that we that we've talked about. I didn't know it was Ke- uh, Kevin Smith until I watched the first episode and saw the the credits. I was shocked. So, but so 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 if you had known it was Kevin Smith, would that have given you any particular expectations? <laughs> Um, no, I, I don't think it would have given me expectations. I didn't think he was going to do, you know, Jay and Silent Bob, uh, but in set in <laughs> Eternia, but, um, you know, I know he's, he, he's a Star Wars fanatic and I know he likes, you know, comic books. So I think it would have, I wouldn't have been surprised by it and I would have expected what we got probably. Mm-hmm. How about Zach? What were your expectations going in? Um, you know, I, uh, pretty high i suppose because i from what i understand i haven't watched any of the flash um but i know he's directed a lot of uh the cw's flash and from what my friends have said he's done pretty well for that he's done a lot of really good runs on comic books and yeah he's done movies so and i i just kind of assume that he's probably a fan of this uh so i would say that I had decently high expectations and just based off of the trailer to me, this animation is it actually, I think surpasses uh, their, the blood of Zeus for sure, at least in the design and the redesigns of a lot of these characters. And then just in the quality of the animation itself, like the battle scenes, I think are either on par or, on average, I would say that on average, they're better and more interesting than um, Castlevania. Yeah, I, I really like the powerhouse animation studio style. So I, I thought that, that they've really been killing it visually. Um, then how about Chris? What were your expectations going well, in? Well, I mean, my expectations were actually very high, but not necessarily for perhaps some of the same reasons that we've discussed. Like, So I, I know who Kevin Smith is. And that's about the end of it. So I had no expectations based on his body of work. Um, I did, however, oh, and also I've no, I don't 
know any of the the powerhouse animations you're talking about. So none none of that. I'd had no baggage going in for for any of that. Um, but I had read a few interviews uh, with Kevin Smith about this project once it was announced that it was coming out, and based on everything he was saying in that in those interviews, it made my expectations very high because it sounded like he knew the material inside out and he had a deep respect for it. It was sort of the kind of expectations I had with Peter Jackson before the Lord of the Rings came out. <laughs> like it was, it was clear you had someone who was a big, you know, knew the material and wanted to respect the material while also, you know, taking in, in whatever artistic direction that, you know, they had. Um, and I mean, the fact that he explicitly was telling people beforehand that this is a direct sequel to the 1980s series that, you know, it expect it to basically start up minutes after the other one ended. And, and it's supposed to, there's supposed to be a hundred percent continuity with it. And we're basically, you know, it's going to go in a very different direction, but it's, you know, that I loved that idea. I loved the idea that we were not worrying about anything else that had come in between all these different iterations or reboots. It was just a direct sequel to the 1980s one. And I think that's why, yeah, I, I had that moment too that Andrea had where I was like, oh my gosh, these puns, like what's going on? <laughs> I think I think that was a really deliberate and clever choice because he kind of lulled you into thinking like, yeah, I'm just watching the same show from the 80s again. And then all of a sudden you go, you take a sharp left turn and everything became different. Like yep. it became much more adult, much darker, much deeper, you know? And um, so in some ways it exceeded my expectations. I mean, I, I did have a, um, you know, my, my part of my initial reaction was that I was disappointed that it, the show was seemed to be sidelining the characters that I actually remembered. You mm-hmm. know, like I said, the characters I actually remembered were like He-Man, Skeletor, Battle Cat, you know, and um, and it did feel like they were kind of like, oh, it, it felt like um, this was a completely different story. It was making me think of like... Um, uh, Logan, the sort of um, old Wolverine mm, movie, mm-hmm, where it's mm-hmm. like this isn't like the this isn't what you expect. This is like a this is almost like a spinoff side story kind of thing. Yeah, and um, uh, and I loved Logan, but I, I feel like Logan for me worked really well because like there'd already been like ten X Men movies, kind of you know, so you you weren't really pining for the the classic X Men experience at that point. You were ready for something new and different. Whereas I felt like certainly my, my initial reaction was kind of like, oh, I kind of wanted to see like more of the He-Man that I remember where he's like switching back and forth between Adam and He-Man and, and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know if anyone else had any any of that reaction. Uh, it's weird. It was weird that it's a show called He-Man and then He-Man's not really in it at all. Um well, it's technically technically it's called Masters of the Universe Revelation. <laughs> well, okay, true enough. <laughs> but you do go in there expecting He Man, and then he he's not there. But yeah, I don't know. I I kind of I think I I differ on that. I, I like to me, I I feel like um, even though, and obviously we're spoiling things for people, but that's fine. Um, you know, even though the characters are sidelined, some of those main characters are sidelined after episode one, I feel like they continue to loom so large in both the on-screen characters' motivations and in eventually coming back into the plot in ways that were like, uh, super powerful. I mean, you know, when Orko returns, it's like his return was like uber memorable and like, you know, sort of he's the the big hero of the whole thing in a way. 
Um, mm. And same thing with He-Man, you find out, like, I just felt like in some ways, I, I liked that, that they sidelined some of the main characters because I felt like, well, if it's just going to be seeing them transform back and forth, I mean, we've seen how many hundred episodes of, of that already. Like, I, I think this Yeah, is, but not in 30 years. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I think it was kind of cool to see, like, what will, if we take these characters that we know inside out and we remove a couple of the key components from, from the sort of mix and, and send them into kind of almost like an alternate historical timeline. I mean, it's not alternate history because it's going forward, but um, it was to me fascinating to see how the different characters who stayed behind adapted. I mean, one of my favorite, favorite parts of the new thing was the uh, Henry Rollins as Triclops character, (laughs) that, that whole thing with that, you know, that sort of, uh, echoes of the 1970s beneath the planet of the apes vibe going on mm. with the cult there. I mean, that was f- absolutely phenomenal. And it made perfect sense with what you know about Triclops and about the other henchmen that are with him. And it just, to me, it made the whole thing richer because you saw, you didn't just see the characters going through the same scenarios you always see them going through. You saw them having to adapt to a really, really, really different, like world changing, you know, universe changing situation and how they all adapted to that. And to me, that was the best part of it. Well, I think that's what made it an adult show as opposed to the kids show that it was, mm-hmm. that was episodic. This was a, an, a, an arc across five episodes. Yeah. The, the Triclops thing. Yeah. The, the beneath the planet of the apes is good. It was making me think Omega man, like 100% mm. Omega man with Charlton Heston. Um, and that actually, that's what sold me on this show. I don't know if I would have kept watching, but that, that was totally, that's totally my wheelhouse. But let me just explain the plot. Uh, and now I've watched so much He-Man since I watched this that <laughs> it's a little hard to keep everything straight. But, but basically, like, spoiler warning, He-Man dies. Um, you know, like there's, there's this battle between He-Man and Skeletor and, in Castle Grayskull and there's like with this orb of power and it's going to explode and He-Man sacrifices himself to keep it from destroying Eternia. And then um, the rest of the characters kind of have to pick up the pieces. And so Tila, who's like the captain of the guard um, and she's like the, the closest, the person closest to He-Man who didn't know that he was really Prince Adam. Uh, and she's really put out that he never told her. And so she kind of like uh, goes off on her own and um and it, yeah it has this very sort of like post apocalyptic kind of feel to it um and and gradually the characters kind of come back together um but um so so Zach did you did you watch this first or did you go back and watch any other human before watching um, this so i watched like the first 5 minutes of this and uh, of the first episode and then i was like uh i think i should like just have a little bit more context cuz i I had that feeling that, yeah, that uh, Kevin Smith was just like getting really into the lore. And I I wanted to to get the show like because it seemed like it was going to be good because I was kind of digging like in the first five minutes. Like it has Orko doing the, the slapstick Orko thing from the original series where he at the beginning of most episodes, he casts a spell that, you know, goes terribly wrong or whatever. And it's all for a joke or whatever. And cringers being a scaredy cat and all that stuff. Um, so I was like, uh, I think I need to like watch all this, the, the original. So I watched like 20 episodes or so. And I watched, a, I looked at a list of like the best ones to watch. And so I watched, you know, a lot of the, the highest rated ones on, um, 
IMDb. And then I went back and the thing that struck me, I really actually really did like the first episode um, because I kind of like, I, I felt like I got the, the, it, well, the, the, those kinds of um, evil Lynn and those, those like puns, they're actually not just in the first episode. They're throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a little bit more apparent in the first episode. Cause it's like more like this heroic type, uh, you know, pre-apocalypse story. And then the thing that I didn't like so much is, well, one, it's a little bit less of the, um, like, it's very apparent that, um, it's, it's not very apparent that Prince Adam is He-Man. I mean, he's, he looks like it's, it's not, it's no longer like the, um, you know, uh, Clark Kent, uh, Superman thing where it's just a big dude. It's, you know, he's, he looks like a 16 year old skinny kid or, you know, relatively compared to He-Man. And the other thing I didn't like was the, like, he, he, he kind of kills, um, purposefully kills, um, Skeletor, uh, after Skeletor kills, um, Moss Man. And I felt like, uh, He-Man is just so super heroic and like he's constantly saving Skeletor despite all of the shitty things that Skeletor does in the original and I I find it really refreshing to see heroes like that that are like not these very not complex heroes these more like mythological superhero type people where the types of stories that it's telling are just like good good wins in the end or whatever um and i was just a little bummed that oh he's like oh he he killed skeletor pretty much he stabbed him um so that was not like i didn't like that as being the inciting incident but i get it and once i rolled with that then it's all you know it's like post-apocalyptic dying dying earth shit till you know he comes back uh and i love the that they kind of give him this um this mythical afterlife which i did not see in the original series but like when the hero when the champions die they like they're awarded this afterlife when they die that's kind of like valhalla mm-hmm. for uh for warriors and they're you know they go on like the 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 wild hunt and all this stuff and it's like this paradise and then he chooses to come back to sacrifice at all like he's not going to have uh you know eternal life uh because he chose to go back to save eternia and i think that's a really cool choice i think throughout this this series like the characters are like tila i have a problem with because i i just don't it, it bugs me when characters like run away from like when their character arc when the character arc is this character goes from running away to accepting their destiny that's just a shitty character arc that's boring to me. I've seen it a million fucking times. Um, so, but, you know, once once she's, like, is over that character arc at the end of, like, the fourth episode um, when she fights Scareglow, it's it's better. You know, I, I'm like, all right, cool. We yeah. got that over with. Thank God. Actually, let, let, let me pick up on that because, yeah, that was my other my, – and I forgot to explain. The reason that the show feels post-apocalyptic is because when this orb of power, like, is going to blow up and He-Man sacrifices himself, that kind of, like, breaks magic in this world. And so magic afterward is really weak and, you know, sort of spells are just barely sputtering if they work at all. 
Um, and so the the Triclops cult, they 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 turned against magic and and now sort of worship technology, which 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 I loved. And so Tila kind of has a similar reaction where she's sort of like thinks magic. It's it's maybe a good good thing or it's better that there's that magic is is pretty much gone now. Um, but my but 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 like Zach is sort of saying, my big issue with with Tila is that so much of her uh, her character development is devoted to this sort of to me really kind of like weak phony conflict where she's like so upset that she was never told that Adam is human. And um, I just feel like it's like, well, why didn't she's like, why did he lie to me? And it's like, well, because the sorceress said, like, don't tell anyone because you're most of the time you're like weak, Adam. And, you know, if Skeletor knew that it would be a big advantage for him. And that's like a a really good reason. And so, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's never going to be any interesting conflict around this. This why did you lie to me? Because he has a perfectly good reason for it. So I I wish that they had like leans in more to the to the magic versus technology angle, which was to, to me the most interesting part of the show. Yeah, I agree with that. I had a very hard time with that. You know, since she's it, for me, it feels like they frequently do this with women characters where, you know, their their lives are fine. Like she's just gotten promoted. She's she's got a great relationship with her dad. She was just hugging him. And then she finds out that, oh, somebody lied to me about something. And then that's it. I'm throwing down my sword and I'm walking out and I'm never talking to you again, you know, for years and years. And it's just, it, it perpetuates this, um, the stereotype of the, you know, hysterical, over-emotional woman who holds a grudge. And I'm just like, I, I really wish they hadn't done that. Um, and I understand you got 25 minutes for your first episode and you need that, that, that character change, but it's, it's very contrived and, uh, it just doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. It drives me nuts. It reminded me of the, that character arc in The Force Awakens with Ray just being like, no, I got to go back to the planet where there's fucking nothing happening or whatever. It's like, <laughs> who, who wants it? Who wants the, the, these are the heroes of the story. And they're just trying to like, she does the same thing where her friend, um, I forget her friend's name. Who's, who's a great character. Uh, a- Andra. Andra. Andra's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm going to be the hero. And so I'm like, okay, well, Andra's cool. Even if Tila is just being, annoying and just like wanting to run away from being a hero yeah i want to get chris back in here chris what do you think about what we've been saying here yeah i mean for sure the the motivation behind tila leaving is one of the weakest elements of the new show um i i I, it's very slightly more complex than that i guess because of the fact that you know it's also a bit of the fact that she has these this weird relationship with both adam and he-man and to then try to reconcile in her mind wait, so that was actually the same person all along and I didn't get a chance to have any kind of closure with either of them because they were both ripped away from me. I think part of it was just she was all messed up from that. But yes, far and away, the the weakest of all the character arcs, um, the way it was written. But, you know, I, I, I do think there were so many other really interesting character arcs that I was willing to kind of just uh, forgive that one and or at least just not think about it as much. Um, I loved, I, I thought, Eva Lynn's character arc was great. She was a great yep. character. Yep. I, I mean, I, I was so happy with, uh, for lots of reasons, that she and Orko end up on Trala because number one, just for fan service, it was great that they <laughs> brought, uh, even if even if it was a fantasy vision of Trala, just seeing Trala in the episode was great. Seeing the, the, the sort of 
connection that these two very different magicians or, you know, wizards, sorcerers, whatever had with each other was great. Um, like I said, I loved the, the, the whole Triclops arc. I loved the, uh, you know, basically all of the other arcs were, were super interesting to me. And, uh, you know, to the extent that they added new elements, which, you know, now I, I never actually did watch any of the reboots, uh, the, the anime one or the one in the t- 2002. So I don't know if they were riffing on anything from those, but like the new stuff that was added, like that whole afterlife thing, I thought was super cool. The whole uh, subternia and preternia in terms of the mythology uh, of the planet was great. And I really liked that they finally explained why it's called Masters of the Universe, because the orb didn't just ruin magic for Eternia, it was going to destroy the entire universe. Um, So, like, if this didn't get remedied, the universe was seeking to exist. I mean, that's why Trala lost its magic. You know, every planet that exists was going to wither and die if they didn't save this. And so that was kind of cool to me. Um, You know, it, it certainly upped the stakes. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. So, I mean, definitely a couple of missteps in there, but I think overall there were so many, um, you know, good steps that, that I I was willing to forgive a couple of those. Yeah. Like like I said, I only watched the first two episodes of the 2002 show, but my understanding is that they were lifting some elements from that. Like the gray skull character, uh, is apparently from that show. Um, but it's like, you know, there's this issue in fantasy and science fiction so much where there's like these like things that are affecting the whole world or the whole universe. And if you're not careful, it can make the human level problems fade to insignificance. So like under ordinary circumstances, I could see Tila being upset if she found out like her friend had been lying to her or whatever, but it's like (laughs) contrasting that against, he just sacrificed himself to save the entire universe, like her concerns like seem so yeah petty yeah you know yeah um and so that's why i think like it would have been better like if she just watched this orb almost destroy the whole universe and and she's just like okay magic is just like bad news like let's let's not like have it anymore and then like then it seems like her natural arc would be she runs into this triclops cult and sees like what's what happens when you make an idol of technology. And then that's part of her whole journey of coming back to the realization that like, no, the universe needs magic in it. It needs human in it, et cetera. That seems like it was, it was like sitting right there and it seems really interesting to me. And it just seems like that's the direction they should have gone with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right, cool. So we're all in agreement, (laughs) agreement. I I agree with that there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so in terms of, I'm trying to think, I think all the other characters, I basically liked the way that they portrayed them, right? So we got, um, what, Beast Man, Evelyn, mm-hmm. we mentioned, uh, Man at Arms. I, I thought that Beast Man should have been against the, um, Triclops for other reasons other than, hey, don't hurt Evelyn because who, like... Why is his alliance with her? His alliance should be with the beasts that he controls, which are like, a, like they're right. So we didn't describe what they're doing. So they take, they like take these like nano machines and they drink these nano machines and then they become like part machine, right? So beast man being like a beast being like of the, you know, animal yeah, order of the natural, of the world. natural world should be like, you know, opposed to this force of tech of mixing 
technology with flesh and like polluting the natural world and the natural beasts. And that's what I, th- I thought that would have been way cooler if they had gone that way. I'm, like immediately I was like, wait, that's the way you're just making this guy just a bodyguard when he could be like way more interesting. So that was my gripe with him. I, I totally agree with that. I think that's a great suggestion. Yeah. I think they should have played up the beast angle more, but I also found it kind of charming the his emotional attachment to Evelyn. And I think some of that might've been borrowed from hints in the early uh, series, but I think some of it, I, I just assumed that in the interim between when, you know, Grayskull fell and the, uh, you know, when we pick up again in this post-apocalyptic world, that somehow the two of them had gravitated toward each other and this kind of emotional bond had formed. But so I actually kind of found that, I, I found that charming, it, it, but I agree it would have been much better in terms of, uh, you know, keeping true to his character if, if he had also had a concern for the beasts. Uh, you know, I, well, something just occurred to me, to me, more so even than the Tila uh, issue we've mentioned, one of the biggest stumbling blocks for me was um, a little bit of confusion I had with how much time we're supposed was supposed to have passed between when Grey Skull fell and when we pick up again in this this post-apocalyptic world because, I mean, some of the characters look like they've aged and I understand Tila, maybe she was supposed to just be like a, you know, maybe 20 or something and so she wouldn't have looked as aged by this time. But then you had characters like her sort of sidekick, Andra, who, when the first mention of Grayskull says, says something like, oh, yes, my grandfather used to tell me stories about Grayskull. It's like, well, wait a minute. This wasn't like generations ago, you know? And so I feel like sometimes there were a few cues that were off as to how much time was supposed to have passed. Um, and I, I was, I, that felt nebulous to me. Um, but again, you know, whatever. It, like, it, it, didn't, it didn't ruin the show for me, but it, did, it definitely was, a, I felt like, Someone didn't really think that, think that through. through. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Because I was very confused. And then I'm like, oh, I guess it's been years, like a decade. Because, you know, the, the sorceress looks old, like an old woman. But it, that could be because the magic is gone. Right. Evil Lynn's yeah, hair is white. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the well, man at arms. hair was always, always white. No, it was, wasn't it dark? Am I... No. She oh. Always, well, she wore like a hat. That was her hat. There was a few oh. episodes in the 80s where she took her hat off and she had a white uh, sort of uh, buzz cut. Oh, see, I, rem- I'm, I you know what? I'm probably remembering the uh, the movie, the 87 movie. <laughs> oh, let's not talk about that. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it sounds like there's a, that the Zach and I have a disagreement because I think that, I mean, I think at this point they can't change, change it too much. But I think if, you know, if you were starting from scratch with a story, you would want to make Prince Adam look way, way different mm. from yeah. He-Man. And you would want to make uh, Cringer. I think it should just be like a boy and his cat. And then they turn into like He-Man and Battle Cat. And so nobody would necessarily connect the two. Um, I mean, I'm not suggesting they do that at this point because there's so much, like people have so much invested in these characters. But, um, but Zach, it sounds like it bothers you when they try to make make He-Man look too much too, or like make Adam look too different from He-Man? Or? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just really fond of that idea that He-Man is, um, like 
that the identity of this person is that they're really, really heroic and that they play the bumbling fool. And uh, that was one of the things when I was watching last night that um, that 2002 version just seemed like he just seemed like a like a shitty kid, you know, and I yeah. like, well, who care? Then I, I, I like this hero to be like all that is good, like and he's just kind of playing the dumb fool when he's you know, around his parents and around Tila and then, you know, he does, like I said, he does the Superman thing where he just quickly changes. And, you know, for whatever reason, we all buy it with Superman. Um, so. I mean, I, I, I don't. I, I, yeah, <laughs> well, I don't either. I, that's I don't always been a question Lois of Superman. Lane yeah. Sure. I, I guess maybe it's just like an outdated thing that I will just. It's like a trope that I'm fine with as just being a fantasy trope that I am fond of. But. But yeah, because then the then otherwise it's just this this kid that has uh, whatever childish uh, that you know that isn't particularly heroic. The only thing that makes him heroic is that he has a sword and that he turns in into He Man because he has this this superpower uh, sword. Um, I like the idea that um, at least for this type of storytelling, right, which is not. They're they're trying to make it more complex, but I mean it's sword and sorcery, and it's like let's let's like let our heroes to just be like try to always do the the right thing and always do the just thing, and even if that is like not killing um, Skeletor, you know, saving Skeletor. There's a, like so many times that He Man could let Skeletor die in the original series, and he saves him, and Skeletor is like, I do things for evil. <laughs> Why do you save me or whatever? And I I don't know. It's I think that's really cool. Um, and I think it's, it's robbed when, when it's just a character switching back and forth, like, like, uh, I don't know, uh, Billy Batson or whatever, turning into Shazam. I guess that, that brings up, I mean, you know, like both the 2002 show and this one try to take He-Man and turn it into something serious and dramatic and adult. And I wonder if that's going to have, the same staying power that the original show had, which is sort of like goofy and childish and, you know, funny. And, you know, you just, you can just watch it all day and, and none of the episodes are great and none of them are terrible. It's just kind of like, you know, <laughs> it's just sort of affable and entertaining. It was making me think a lot of the, um like the Adam West Batman versus the Christopher Nolan Batman. Mm. And like, I guess people do like those two different interpretations of that character that Batman sort of lends himself to. But I wonder is like, is He-Man just kind of inherently a sort of like silly eighties character and you're never going to get too much mileage out of trying to take it super seriously. So Andrea, what do you think? I mean, I mean, that's what we've been doing for the last decade is reinventing our heroes as flawed, somewhat possibly angry, somewhat sociopathic um, people who, you know, sort of teeter on the edge of, of um, being hero and also villain. Uh, I personally like characters with more depth. Um, I kept thinking when I was watching this, that as I'm liking the fact that it's more adult, um, my reaction to um, 
Star Wars Rogue One, which is my favorite Star Wars movie now, it's because everybody dies because that's reality. Um, you know, this is a, still a throwback. Uh, it, He-Man is that old straight up hero versus villain hero always wins hero never hurts anybody um which just personally for me i never buy um i mean it's it's nostalgia but as a as a story as storytelling it it does bother me so, so so do you think that you'll keep watching like say the show were to go on for seasons would you keep watching it like are are you in the market for a serious yes man show i am I, I i would i will watch the next part of this season i guess it's like season season one part two i guess is what's going to come yeah i, I do want right. to see you know i i like the 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 uh the twist ending uh episode five um i was like oh okay <laughs> cool and they're they planted a whole bunch of stuff that obviously is going yes. to be resolved with you know Tila and the sorceress's relationship, which we right. know from back in the eighties. Um, and that's they hinted at that they came so close to revealing yeah. it a million times. You know, yeah, I know it was very heavy handed, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, do you think we're eventually that we're like basically working our way back to the status quo? Where like people don't know Adam is human and like all that kind of stuff, or is this show? going to go in a continue to go in a completely new direction do you think well assuming we even have adam anymore i mean you know they'd have to resurrect him a second time yeah (laughs) well we don't get it it's not confirmed that he's dead i I think he's i think he's i I mean i don't know my my prediction is he's coming back and i think Warco's coming back um but um i mean it seems like you can't kill off like right i i I hear there's like certain things that just make the show appealing and those are it's just like hard for me to, to believe that they would permanently discard the things that like are, are assets to the show to begin the assets of the show to begin with yeah but, i mean although who knows i mean it, it, he could it could be some other form that he stays back but but i would i would actually disagree with your the premise of your question which is like to me what made the show memorable was not the the lighthearted goofiness like I, when i think of the show i don't remember those moments um, un- unless it's with sort of mild annoyance. Like I always <laughs> was what made the show have staying power for me was the depth and was the darkness that was beneath the goofiness. Um, you know, and there were show there were shows that explored some of the same themes that are being explored now, even back in the eighties, like I- I'm not going to remember the title or-, or the season, but there was this one where some sort of glowing sphere called Ohm appeared uh, because the war between Skeletor and and the forces of Castle Grayskull had become so widespread that it was literally threatening to destroy the whole world. And you see, like cities being burned out, and and peasants, you know, having to flee their farms, and 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 it was just like it had spilled over into all out war, and it looked like we were looking at the end of Eternia. And this glowing sphere appears and basically freezes time. Um, this is back in the eighties series. And, and, yeah, well, this is episode 16 of season two, the arena. Oh, is that what it's called? Okay. So, and I mean, you know, so you saw how the darkness, and, and I remember that episode vividly, like how that, that presence had to step in and be like, guys, take a time out here. You're about to utterly destroy yourselves. Um, and I mean, it's kind of weird and heavy handed the way they did it. And they always left it open ended. Like, I think that one ended with like, I'll be back and I'll see how you're all doing again in the future. And then they never had the follow up. But, um, you know, and and things like when you went back and saw 
the history of the sorceress when she was a young girl and how she came into her power and her whole backstory and all, all that kind of stuff is what I remember from the show. I mean, the sort of lighthearted goofiness, I, I remember the show in spite of that, I feel. So I think this is this was this is prime sort of property for for exploring the more adult sides of it. Um and, and to me it just resonates with me for the same reasons that it resonated as a kid, but um I don't know. So I guess I kind of disagree well, with you on that. Okay. Well, it's funny because thinking back to when I was a kid, I, I hated Orko. I was like, why is this stupid yeah. comic relief character in the show? I hated him so much. And now I watch it. I'm like, oh, he's fun. But <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe as a kid, yeah, I, I was, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to remember now how much I was into the, the humor in camp and how much I wasn't. But I, I do just, I don't know. I, I, I just wonder how much He-Man is just inherently a product of the 80s. And just the whole idea of like the super muscular guy oh, yeah, called yeah. He-Man, yeah. who's the hero, and like, like could could it could could that ever like transcend generations past like the people who grew up with it? Not just like as a, like a revival or whatever, but on any kind of like enduring popularity. I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Hulk, right? I mean, the Hulk's been around for a while, and people still. I'm not. I'm not sure if it's as was ever as popular as He-Man, but um, I I think it. I'm mean, ideally for me, it would keep the best like of both of those things. That charm of like the the charming, super muscular hero that He-Man is, and then the bleak, you know, stories and plots and setting of like you know this entropy or or this like dying planet um but then keeping like the heroes you can have like flawed heroes but like i don't know i i think keeping them like in the way that they were kind of originally just like I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't. Know, maybe it is just goofy, but um, but you can have both the goofy and the bleak, and I think that that would be what I want to see in the second half of the season. Right, because it raises the issue of why did He Man decline in popularity to start with? And I think we all saw the toys that I think they talked about this in the toys that made us right. That in I have the number somewhere, but it was like in 1986. He-Man toys sold $400 million. You know, they sold $400 million worth of He-Man toys. And then in 1987 or something, they sold $7 million or something like that. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly I mean, that's right. So um, that's got to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles killing that, right? I feel like that has to be because that was like the new thing that that's, that kids were probably into, right? Well, I think that... They were also talking, because I watched the Power of Grayskull thing, they were also talking about how they, they flooded the market and they weren't getting them out. I, I It was it was like a marketing issue with them, the problem. Um, and, and also, and, I, yeah, go ahead. You know, just they, they started to go goofy because they, 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 they jumped the shark, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, some of the, the toy marketing was outpacing the show and, and was going overboard. But, but I also think... It, it, I don't know. And obviously there's people who study this and, and, and are experts in it. But like, I, I wonder how much of the decline in popularity was 
simply that the toys weren't selling as well. And so they decided to pull the plug on the show. I wonder if there's any data to show whether or not the show was declining in popularity, because like I said, I didn't own a single toy and I was like probably one of their biggest super fans of the show. Um, and I would have kept watching it for years to come, even though I was kind of aging out of it. Um, so I, it, that's a kind of weird mix because you do have that added variable of the, the, the decision being made for purely mercenary selling reasons of the toys, which is kind of independent from the, the, the storyline in the show. The, the toys, there was also one other point that documentary, the toys that made us, uh, mentioned, and that was that they overproduced side characters. And so you mm. couldn't actually get like a heat. You couldn't get the titular cast because it was just bullshit other characters that kids didn't want for their set. So it, you couldn't introduce like new you know, five, six, seven-year-olds into it because they, they actually couldn't get their hands on the OG cast and they didn't care about the new cast. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what, you know, the ex-people at Mattel believe. Yeah, well, well so in these two documentaries, there, there are two theories floated. And one is the lack of quality control that they just like made so many shitty toys nobody cared about and that just kind of like killed the whole thing. And then there's also the like She-Ra came along and then like boys didn't want to play with He-Man anymore because it made He-Man seem girly that there was the She-Ra show. Um, but then there's also the thing Zach was mentioning, which I, I think is the most, it seems is the biggest factor to me, is that He-Man, we said, came in, was like a one-of-a-kind thing when it was introduced. And within just like two or three years, you had a ton of competing shows that were, I think, all better. Sorry, Chris. They were all better than He-Man. <laughs> well, you think Thundercats um, was better than He-Man? Yeah, well, 100%. Yeah. So let me hmm. just list the shows. We got Transformers, Thundercats, Mask, The Real Ghostbusters, Bionic 6, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and DuckTales, and G.I. Joe. Those all came out between 84 and 87. And I think those are all better than He-Man. Some of them much better. Uh, some of them are sort of questionable, like maybe not G.I. Joe or... Eh, but I, I think Thundercat. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't rewatched a ton of Thundercats, but I think it's definitely better than He-Man. That's my my sense. I'd have to go check that. But um, but but Chris, what do you think about that? Because do, do, do you well, think that He-Man's better than all those shows? No, well, or? let's put it this way. Uh... It's kind of hard, too, because, you know, as I said, I was starting to get too old for those shows by the ones that came out afterwards. So, I, you know, it's kind of it's a difficult question to answer. I loved Thundercats as well. It's certainly as good as He-Man. And in many ways, the 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 writing and the story is is much more um, has much more sort of uh, arc, you know, long term arc to it rather than the really episodic style that a lot of He-Man had. So that was that was superior, but um, I, I I don't know. I mean, like I said, I think you've got two things. If if, if someone was looking at the He-Man show back in the eighties, who, whoever was you know whatever producers and studio people were looking at it, if they were looking at it purely as a commercial to sell the toys, and the soy and, and the toys were no longer selling, and they decided, well, therefore the show is failing to do what it's meant to do. That's a very different question, and, and I, my sense is that's probably entirely why the show was canceled, because they were just like, well, the show is not selling the toys anymore. Let's not bother making these long-form commercials. Um, but 
for people who were watching it, I don't know how many people were actually just thinking of it as a commercial. I certainly wasn't. I no. was just watching it because it was a good show. And and then um, I of the shows that you mentioned, the only ones that really, I, I think, appealed to me were Thundercats for sure, uh, which is the strongest by far out of all the ones you mentioned uh, that came afterwards. I watched... Uh, I, think Duck, I think DuckTales is the most quality. Well, but see... DuckTales and Ninja Turtles, like, I, this is just a, a personal quirk of mine. Like, those are shows that I would never have gotten into because they were too goofy. I couldn't get past yeah. the threshold of, like, well, I can't take this seriously. It's just nonsense. Like, yeah. like to me, it's like the same thing as watching, like, Bugs Bunny cartoons. It's like, you know, they're great and they can be fun, but I'm not going to get invested in them. It's like, yeah, if it's on, I love it. They're, they're classic or whatever. But, like, I, it's just it's just asinine and you know it's like yeah. i could never take yeah. I, I i'm with you on this one because and i think the problem with you have is the same problem i have which is we were too old for it at that point maybe. i was way too yeah. old for for ninja turtles or ducktales never watched ducktales i don't think i watched either one of them my I, as you were saying my my other favorites of the ones that dave mentioned were thundercats and for me, Transformers. Transformers. Um, and and I actually, some of G.I. Joe, but again, only when you started to get the the, the sort of backstories of the characters and stuff, I got into that. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, the thing is, I think even if I had been young, even if I had been 10 when DuckTales and Ninja Turtles came out, I, I just think for me personally, I would have had absolutely no interest in either of them. And it would, it would, I would have had the same interest in watching those as watching an episode of Tom and Jerry. It's like, yeah, all right, fine. I'll put it on. It's just something to look at, but it, I would have had no investment in them. Yeah, I, I agree. But, 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 but again, sort of the reason I bring them up is because it's just like, these were He-Man, He-Man killers in 1986 or whatever. If, right. So if you say so, can He-Man survive in today's entertainment ecosystem where there's like tons and tons of, like I feel like like He Man was like this like hot house flower that <laughs> existed in a particular time and place, and like you can sort of be nostalgic about it, and that's that's fun. But I I just I don't know if it could ever survive in today's marketplace. Well, and yet here we are, yeah, with, Ke- with Kevin Smith and and you know all the other iterations that have come be- before now. I mean, I, I just think again, it's just it's just how is it handled? It, I think it could. I think it has a, a much better much greater staying power than any of the other ones you mentioned, uh, with the exception of Thundercats, which I think could also do that. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has like been a pretty much on air since whenever it aired in the eighties, there's been a version of it just constantly. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that one is the one that's like, really really stayed and then they even made you know they made big budget successful well indie movies and then also not indie movies um but i yeah i think that there's there's got to be a market for this i mean this is like classic <laughs> sword and sorcery man like with with kind of like the superhero genre which is super popular right now it's like kind of like an amalgam but between a lot of genres like I yeah. feel like it ha- there has to be a a universe where this comes back and is and is popular like there's so many nerdy things that that got really popular again like the the Transformer movies were those are each one of those are a billion dollar movie um 
and they've made like a half dozen of them. So it's like, I, there has to be a way where this is treated, where whether it's super serious and we, we go at like Robert E. Howard style um, mixed with like a dash of Jack Vance or, you know, we go full goofy like the cartoon, but there's, there's like, there is room for potential for this. (laughs) I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrea, is there anything else you've wanted to say, like, or even anything else about masters of the universe revelation that we haven't touched on? Well, this is, maybe just my pet peeve but as i was watching them i i watched the credits the opening you know the right at the beginning and i it was it stood out to me that there's only one there's five episodes there's only one woman writer and the main character for all intents and purposes is a woman and i I just don't understand why you couldn't get more women writers in there i was just a little and and no women directors either it was just two guys um watching the documentary this morning they had more women working on the original show in the 80s than they do on this um so i I, that really ticked me off um you know it's it's there's a call now for more strong women characters uh, and that's great. But you know what? We need more women behind the scenes. We mean, need more women writing women's stories instead of men writing, you know, what we, they think women, how they think women are. Um, personal pet peeve, but I'm just, I was kind of pissed by that. <laughs> and still am. Uh, I think totally, totally right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally right. And I think we would have gotten a better Tila arc had that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually surprised how much the original show, how many women's names were in the yeah. credits. Like a lot of the episodes I watched were directed by yes. Gwen, Gwen, somebody or other. Yep, yep. And there were women animators and there were women designers. And I I saw so few women names in as producers, maybe one or two women producers, um, where there were like eight producers, maybe one produce, woman producer, no directing, one woman writer on five episodes and it was just like it was infuriating once i realized it um speaking of the credits though we haven't really said anything about this you know like the cast is like mark hamill with skeletor Mm. like sarah michelle geller alicia silverstone like lena hetty uh lena hetty kills it yeah evil yes yep that that was my that aside from Mark Hamill, that was my favorite uh, voice casting. I thought she just was perfect for that role. She was. And it was also a good character, too. So she she had a lot of emotional, a lot of character arc. She had a big character arc. And it was, and it was re- like, there was this one line when she says, you know, I followed him, you know, meaning Skeletor, I followed him around. I could have been a master of the universe myself, but I followed him around. And I was like, that's that's a knife in the gut of every woman who's who's ever, like, you know, let a guy um, be more important, you know, backed up a a, a shitty man. Um, So that was a lot of great – there was a lot of great stuff for her. Um, I thought it was a great character. Well. Well, like one of the, this is the old series, one of the episodes I watched yesterday, there's a part where Skeletor says, like, I have to go elsewhere for brains than Snake Mountain because I'm surrounded by these incompetents talking about Beast Man and uh, Triclops. But then I'm like, well, wait, what about Eva Lynch? She seems like the most competent yeah. person in this organization. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, and if you want to feel very old, Kevin Smith's daughter is now an adult, Harley Quinn Smith, and she's she has a voice yeah. role in this. So <laughs> I was like, wow, that was the 90s was a long time. It ago. sure was. <laughs> I think the, the I don't know who this actor is, and I don't think it was because of the actor, but the biggest sort of surprise breakout character for me in this one ex- far exceeding his function in the uh original series was Roboto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was like a real tearjerker. Yeah. And I mean they they kept true to what little bit of lore we had about Roboto from the 80s but like man they took that in a in yeah. a really cool direction. What a great character art too. <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't fear anything. <laughs> well, I think the 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 best character arcs were Evelyn um um the the wizard uh what's the little wizard name Orko. sorry Orko. Orko and um and Roboto mm-hmm. um I thought they all did great um mm-hmm. with those characters everybody else eh. okay wait so, so Chris as the master of war for He Man maybe you can answer this question for me because in this show Orko says that his name was actually Oracle and he just kind of mangled it as a kid and said it Orko and it stuck. Um, and it's a good thing because he was always so bad at magic. At least this is the way I remember what he said that like people would have really made fun of him if he had gone around calling himself Oracle. But then in the original cartoon, when I went back and watched it, we learned that Orca was actually the best sorcerer in on Trala. Yeah. And that it was only once he came to Eternia that the magic was like different or something. And then he couldn't really do magic well anymore. And those seem to, that seemed to be a big contradiction in the lore, at least from from what I watched. Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, just the whole Oracle thing. Like, I don't remember that name thing. I mean, that that seems to be a Kevin Smith invention, and unless he's taking that from one of the other in, incarnations of it. Um, also, another thing that seems a little inconsistent about that is the the name Orco seems to fit the naming conventions of Trala because you had he had an uncle named Montork, so that is it again sounds like it's from the same like why would they name someone oracle and then his like sort of on again off again girlfriend is driel so they all have like name names like why would they have named anyone oracle like that just seems weird to me so i don't know i i don't have any other particular insights into that <laughs> but i thought it was I thought it was a cool little uh explanation i like it but I th- that was definitely retconning i think Actually, none of, none of these episodes rang any bells at all in terms of specific uh, scenes or storylines or anything, except the, the the part where Orko meets Triel and like she takes off her like 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 I guess on Trala you you only show your face to your uh, like the person you're going to marry or whatever, and so there's a part where like she takes off her mask or like lifts up her hat so you can see her face and and he does the same and you don't see either of their faces but you sort of see the the back of orko's head and he looks like yoda kind of like from behind (laughs) and i like when i saw that i was like wait i remember i'm sure i watched this as a kid like just that that idea of the of like what does orko's face look like oh my god you know like i remember sort of being really struck by that um all right we're pretty much out of time uh Zach, anything anything else you wanted to mention that we haven't gotten to? Um, no, I just I really enjoyed this. Um, I'm I'm glad that you had me on. Um, are we going into final thoughts? No, not not just okay. that, but any any like broader subjects that we haven't touched. <sighs> broader sub? Uh, nah, I I just yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a lot of fun, and I'm definitely gonna watch the um. 
the, the next uh, series. I, I don't know. I'm thinking and hoping that He-Man's going to be a bigger part of the next series. I don't know if that's a subject you want to talk about, but the it ends on a on a pretty cool cliffhanger. I thought I I just I think it's let maybe the the character arcs are not great, but like the plot as it is is, is pretty cool. Um, so I I did like the plot for what it was, even if I didn't wasn't behind all of the characters at all times. Well, I, I said I think He Man's coming. Back, yeah, I'm sure he you, is. Zach, do you think he's? Does anyone think he's not coming? Oh no, I don't. I think he's coming down. back. I think he's going to be big He Man. I, I wouldn't. Go so far <laughs> as, yeah, no, I wouldn't go so far as to say I don't think he's coming back. But I don't. I. I. To me, it seems up in the air, and I would be fine with him not coming back. Actually, because to be honest, I don't know if this is blasphemy or something, but I, I've always found him the least interesting character in the show. So if they get rid of him. You know, and I, I by get rid of I, again, like I don't feel like even when they got rid of him in the first episode of Revelations, he's continued to loom large. You kept seeing flashback scenes with him fighting with Tila, and you kept seeing you know people were talking about him, and then you find him in the afterlife. So I mean, if he ends up having some sort of a, a role, like you know, sort of a force, you know, a Jedi Force uh, ghost or something, you know, I, I, that I'd be fine with that if it was handled well like I, i'm not saying an actual force ghost but something you know if 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 someone else becomes the new he-man i'd be fine with that too if it's if it's handled well i i think i want adam as he-man but like as long as it remains kind of this ensemble cast where you know we're getting a little bit of like the backstabbingness and like a little bit of the the politics of you know either the the king and um mm. you know evil lynn and all that kind of stuff like that's what's pretty cool um be- now those characters are like fully fleshed mm-hmm. out so like i think now we can like have like different alliances and bring he-man will be like a care hopefully he-man will be a character but like he it won't be he-man masters of the universe it'll just be like he's one of the many ensemble that you know that will every once in a while make a cool epic appearance, but is equal to all of the other great characters and, and the great world and plot as a whole. Yeah. You know, I, I heard that there's a, um, another He-Man show in development that's like more aimed at kids. So it might be that that's going to be the more traditional He-Man show. And then this can be its own thing that kind of like goes off in sort of weird, unexpected directions. I mean, I guess if I had my, my druthers, <laughs> a term that I love, um, would be that they do bring He-Man back in some way. But apart from just him not, you know, from him sharing screen time with the other characters, I would hope that if they do bring him back, it's he's been changed in some way by this experience, not just emotionally, but like there's some something different, like there's more limitations on his powers or there's more sacrifice when he does it or so it, 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 if it just we just hit a reset button and it's back to the same old uh, adam turns yeah. into man and it's you know it's, it's we've come then i feel like well what you know there, what there was the point consequences for what he's gone through yeah um, real real consequences yeah just make him he's he you know the, the original character and, and this character very one-dimensional i do want to see more dimensions to the character make him more interesting instead of just your bland blonde built hero with a sword i just feel like like 
you know, like what, you have to be really careful with these things that you like tweak the formula, but don't change the formula too much because you know, like there's just certain things that people come to the show for. And if you like change it too much, then it's like, well, why do I need to like the, the fact that I like He-Man is no longer like drawing me to this because it's now it's something completely different. It's like you have to like really like walk that line really carefully. Well, uh, well we, we didn't even mention this uh, yet, and it's probably something worth mentioning on the show, but um, this thing got review bombed by exactly like what yeah. you're talking about. People found out before that He-Man wasn't going to be the main character, and they freaked the fuck out before it even uh, aired. And so this thing has like a great critical response. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at like Metacritic, um, the critical response is high, and then the audience response is like thirty three percent, or like you know, fair something like fairly rotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unfortunate because it's like people just got pissy before they even fucking watched it. And it's like if you watch if you watch the first episode, it's the same fucking show as the eighties, except for the you know the the very very end. So, you know, I don't know. Like that. No, I, I read some of them. They're they're. You know, uh, man, baby, just, cry babies. It's just like yeah, oh, it's the same. Sake. It's the same crew that complains about the new Star Trek. And yeah, complains about the new Star, Star Wars. Wars complains yeah, about the. It's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what they want. They just want. They want their 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 bland white boy. <laughs> so I, I, I guess they want. I don't know. I mean, so I, I I just kind of like I hear those complaints, especially when they come out before the show is actually even aired, and it's just like mm-hmm. oh, whatever. You know, you just got to kind of shrug that those sort of responses off, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to totally dismiss the concern because, like I said, I had something of the same reaction when I first watched the show. But I, I just feel like there's like an appropriate level of outrage. Yes. When like a, the show doesn't turn out the way you want and, and you know, like you got to keep it in perspective. Um, and like by the end, I thought that this was pretty good. Um, so you know, um, I ended up being pretty satisfied with it, but, but I did, you know, it's not like a completely, um, unjustified to want something that you like to not change too much. I mean, I think that's kind of natural, but, um, you know, I I think just like the outrage needs to like be capped at a reasonable level. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but we're out, we're out of time. So why don't we start wrapping this up? So now we will get into (laughs) some final thoughts. So, uh, so Andrea, final thoughts on He-Man Revelation? Well, I mean, overall, I, I had my issues with it. Um, but overall, I, I enjoyed it, especially it hooked me at, at episode two. And then I, um, was pleasantly surprised. And I will definitely watch the second half of the first season when it comes out. Uh, Chris, final thoughts. Yeah. I, I also will certainly continue to watch this. Um, I think the biggest thing that pleased me was, how fan servicey it was that it like it ticked all the boxes that I was hoping it would as someone who loved the show and it's you know near and dear to my heart and from the 80s um and I loved the new directions that they took it in uh from that starting point so like to me I just think it was the best of both worlds so uh yeah I look forward to seeing what happens next and Zach any final thoughts if you still have any <laughs> I mean it's pretty much just what Andrea and Chris said, uh, I, I do like to just list some recommendations. If you like this show and you want to watch it and you want more stuff like it, all of Jack Vance's dying earth, planet adventure series, all that's great. 
Thundar the uh, the Barbarian is also really cool. Um, and it's like slightly before this. Um, and it's it's just as cheesy if you like that <laughs> 80s vibe. It's got the same like crappy run cycles over and over again. Um, <laughs> and obviously Conan, uh, all the Conan stories by Robert E. Howard. And um, Michael Moorcock has stuff that's like this that's really cool. Um, DC Comics uh, apparently has a... a a series that's very well reviewed that I'll be picking up because now I'm into this and definitely watch the toys that made us. It's, it's really entertaining on um, the He-Man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do not miss the toys that made us. It's absolutely hilarious. And yeah, and I'll definitely watch part two. And, you know, as I said, the, the thing that really caught my interest the most was the sort of cult worshiping technology versus magic and stuff. So I, I hope they do more with that in part two. Um, but yeah, overall, you know, like I had some reservations, especially at the beginning, but I ended up thinking it was pretty good. So, uh, you know, even if you, um, you have mixed feelings about the first episode or so, I would stick with it because, uh, I think they do really cool things, uh, by the end. Um, but yeah, so let's, uh, wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Andrea Kale, Christopher M. Savasco, and Zach Chapman. So thanks everyone so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thanks. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Andrea Kale, Christopher M. Savasco, and Zach Chapman for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it... Tell no one. Thank you for listening.